0: Welcome to December podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove, and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. This month, I'm joined again by Sven De Hunt, who is program advisor at Bath Film Festival, is a film writer, blogger, and you may well have been sold a ticket by him um, at Watershed box office. This month, we're going to look at the year in cinema. And just to be clear, this is looking from January the 1st, 2016 through till December 31st this year. Films that have been released in UK cinemas. We'll have a look at some highlights and some issues um, that have arisen in the film world this year. So, as I said, delighted to be welcomed by Sven. Welcome. Thanks, Mark. Um, So let's start then. Take it season by season uh, and look at um, what is seen as the awards, the awards season, um, beginning of the year, January through to March. What are, some of the, what are some of the highlights for you?
1: January and February were always sort of like spoiled because that's when we always get these like quite prestigious Oscar-worthy films. Um, so this year we had films such as Spotlight, which took home the, the main award, or a film like Room, and I think all these films are very, very strong films.
0: Yes, there's an abundance of riches um, at, that, at this time of year uh, when, when films are all uh, jockeying for um, awards. You mentioned a couple of them there. Um, the thing that I loved about Spotlight was it sort of went back to that cinema, great American cinema of the 70s.
1: Yeah, it was a very understated film and nothing in that film was very flashy. I think it was very, Interesting film made by a really interesting filmmaker who made all the right choices how yeah. to direct his actors yeah. and it was sort of like yeah this year turned out to be the year of cinema that is understated we had a lot of those films that are underplayed which I really like
0: and it, it kind of reminded me obviously the uh, of all the president's men um, and the that investigative journey the newspaper does to expose you know corruption. Uh, and in this instance, um, uh, child abuse in the in the church. And for me, it was great to see Michael Keaton uh, back on screen. I mean, he's had a, a renaissance with Birdman the year before and then, and then with Spotlight. And I've always thought of Michael Keaton as a great um, actor, but he'd been slightly sort of positioned as, you know, a bit of a kind of B-movie comedy actor, but he showed great um, in both those films and particularly Spotlight he just showed um, really great performances.
1: Yeah, it's great to see Michael Keaton back on the screen, you know, in, like the late 90s, he was doing a lot of like um, side characters, like he was in Steven Soderbergh's Out of Sight, he was in Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown, but now it's really good to see him back um, as, a, as a main as a, lead, main actor, as, a lead as a lead man, lead actor. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the actor who took took home the Oscar this year with Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant, Mm. Um, a film that I really liked at first, but then when I watched it again, I thought it was a bit shallow. I think it was a film that was too showy for its own good. I don't Mm. know what you think about The Revenant.
0: Well, I mean, somebody described it to me as like one of the old Wiley E. Coyote cartoons, where, you know, everything that can happen to Wiley E. Coyote as he's chasing Roadrunner can happen. And so when, when in those amazing scenes, and they are amazing, the cinematography in it is um, just phenomenal. Uh, and the intensity of the film is, but it, it, you sort of think it's it's so extreme. It's kind of like cartoonish. So when he goes over the cliff on the horse, you know, it is like something out of one of those great Roadrunner cartoons. And I just could not get that out of my mind. And so the film, whilst it was brilliantly um, film put together great intense energy i always had at the back of my mind that you must be joking
1: yeah i thought it looked beautiful um yeah the cinematography by emmanuel lubeski um, after last year's Birdman, mm. it looks stunning but i thought as a film it was quite clinical mm. i found it really hard to engage with whatever was happening mm. on the screen but it looked beautiful and it sounded mm. beautiful and alejandro to the director mm. he directs the hell out of it it's a very mm. Like how he staged the film was was phenomenal.
0: Mm. So so later in the um, the season there, there were films, the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar*, uh, which was a great uh, homage to Hollywood, and and also Trumbull, um, which I I thought was an excellent um, film about the scriptwriter, uh, one of the Hol- one of the Hollywood Ten who was sent to prison for. Um, Accusations of communism uh, in the 50s um, and a fantastic performance from Brian Cranston, which really got into some of the meat of what was happening at that time in Hollywood in the 50s.
1: Yeah, I think Trumpo, tr- the film Trumbo highlights a really interesting period, but I think the film felt a bit too flat in its portrayal of Hollywood and the film industry. I think it relied too much on characters, although Brian Cranston is very good, I think there was something that was really missing for me in that film. Um, I really, really like Hail Caesar, because that is a film without any pretentious, and that f- film is just a joyride through like different genres and different styles, and it's not that much of a story, but all the characters, I loved hanging out with them, and
0: uh, yeah, I thought that was mm. good fun. I, I was less um, happy with, with Hail Caesar, I, I've, I've kind of come to find um, the Coen brothers too jokey, almost too comfortable in their sort of self-referential. Whereas I found Trumbull was, was illuminating about a key figure actually uh, in in Hollywood. And whilst it was a bit cliched, you would think in terms of its representation, so the 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 hard drinking smoking writer who's never stops typing away even in his bath and actually his bath's where he, he gets inspiration types and you're thinking, oh come on, you must be serious. And then of course the film closes with um, real footage, archive footage of Dalton Trumbull in the bath with his whiskey, with the, the typewriter. Um, and this is what he was he was like. So I think the way in which it, it, it pulled it back um, because it is based on a true story, uh, I thought it was very good with yeah. uh, Trumbo.
1: Although Trumbo is a really good screenwriter, I felt that the film f- more felt, or the screenplay of the film felt more as like an adapted Wikipedia page about Elton Trumbo. I think some more nuance was, mm. was missing.
0: We, we've talked um, primarily there about uh, American films and Hollywood films and that is the time of year when they're all going after the Oscars uh, in particular. But of course there was some great Uh, films um, from the rest of the world. I was thinking particularly of the Icelandic film Rams, which for me was a real um, highlight of the early part of the year. You know, a fantastic um, character study relationship between two brothers, sheep farming brothers, who haven't spoken for, you know, 40 years or something, Um, and and set in this amazing, austere, uh, Icelandic um, countryside and it, with, with an emotional payoff at the end that was just devastating. Um, I thought it was such a brilliant, uh, wonderful film.
1: Yeah, like from the outset, it's a quite a difficult f- film to sell to people. You know, it's two Icelandic sheep f- uh, farmers in a very remote area, but that filmed it really well and we kept bringing it back and the audience really loved it. So I really liked that they could really connect with like the main characters and yeah, I, I love I loved Rams. I love I love like the, the humour that was once again very underplayed, um, and that film, although it was set in Iceland, I think it was a film that really radiated, warmth mm. and that was something
0: I really liked mm. about it. Well, because at its heart, it's about relationships, it's about family relationships, but actually, it's about relationships and about the possibility of healing in terms of, you know. Um, uh, rift family rift and so it was it was optimistic ultimately um, but also fantastically quirky <laughs> and a por- beautiful portrait of iceland as a country yeah. uh, as well yeah. and in other films at, at, at that um, period was um Night, mommy which i liked um uh, veronica france severin fiala um austrian film uh real sort of psychological um thriller which which sort of felt a bit like um Um, Eyes Without a Face, um, Kubrick-esque as well. Um, And I thought it was a really tight, punchy, psychological thriller that delivered all the sort of thrills that you would want.
1: Yeah, it definitely taps into those sensibilities of also filmmakers such as Michael Haneke, But I think it it feels very fresh and innovative in how it twists the horror genre completely Mm. on its head because you don't really know what you're watching and the film twists and turns and Mm. I really enjoy that.
0: And at the end of March, High Rise, um, a film that was being waited for with great anticipation, given um, it was a script that, a subject matter and a script that Nick Rogue was due to direct in the 70s. Um, The great producer, Jeremy Thomas, producing it, had a script go forward a few decades. um, Ben Wheatley reads the book, uh, wants to make it as a film, finds out it's with jeremy thomas they get together they make high rise finally um I'd say much anticipation about this project what 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 did you think of yeah, it? yeah
1: i think um ben wheatley jeremy thomas and jj ballard is a perfect combination course, and yeah. i think it really worked for high rise mm. um it is chaos but if you need someone to orchestrate chaos mm. Um, Let It Be, Ben Wheatley. Yeah, I, I, I really, really enjoyed it, um, what he brought to the book. Because mm. um, although it is set in the 1970s, I think how he f- adapted it and how he filmed it, it also says a lot about our current political climate and mm. our current society. Mm.
0: I really enjoyed the film. I enjoyed the J.G. Um, G. Ballard up on screen and his dystopian uh, world and how um, fragile civilization is and how quickly it can collapse. And I, I, as you say, I enjoyed the, the uh, sort of anarchy of it. I, I, by the end though, um, I felt as though this was a film that should have been made 30 years ago, and it should have been made by Nick Roig. Mm. Um, and I just couldn't help um, that feeling. It felt so uh, of the, the period, the kind of Thatcher era. Um, and so I, 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 almost, I saw it as a period piece almost. Mm. And the only thing that um, took me out of that was the brilliant uh, reworking of ABBA's SOS by Portishead. And that was the one thing that really sort of brought it, a uh, for me to contemporary. Yeah, I think
1: the film had a really good soundtrack. Uh, I think the composer was Clint Mansell, yeah. who used to work with uh, Darren Aronofsky. Mm. I think yeah, it sounds really good. Mm.
0: Looking at the spring, then April to June, one absolute film stands out for me, and that is Sebastian Schippers' Victoria, single take, uh, for almost two hours, telling of a young um, Spanish girl's night into the next day sort of um, experience, and moves from her meeting, coming out of a club, meeting some um, guys, getting to know them, and then leads you into an amazing uh, thriller with, you know, gangs, drugs, the whole. Now, if you say a single take, you just think, oh, you know, that's a, a gimmick. But for me, this film really, really worked um, in lots of different ways, and delivered the kind of real punch that um, cinema is about. Yeah, I think it was a film that really transcended that gimmick. Um,
1: I think it was very, very powerful in how it how it used that one scope because that was not what the film was about. And I think halfway throughout the film Victoria, you sort of forgot the fact that it was, it was all one take. And just like a good soundtrack, you never notice a good soundtrack. Mm. Good cinematography, you never really mm. notice a cinematography. And that was the same for, for Victoria. Now, I, I, I really liked it. However, I do think because of that format, I think he had a bit of pacing issues. The film is two hours and a half long. I think he could have like bunched it up a little bit, Mm. but overall I think it's a visual breathtaking uh, tour de force.
0: Mm. And and also this really is a time for the um, world cinema, uh, European cinema cinema in particular this period you see they've probably been held back because of the you know hollywood awards um stuff so what we see is you know a film like victoria and then laszlo Nemesh, um quite profound son of soul um, which takes you into the heart of um the the killing machines of the concentration camps um and again a, a hugely powerful uh, piece of work
1: yeah sometimes like an amazing film i want to watch again and then again and again but I think Son of Saul, which I think is a, a amazing film, I stored it in my memory, and I don't want to watch it again. Um, but it is very, very good, and mm. it's going to stay with me forever. But I think he, what he found, he found like a really interesting vocabulary and in how to mm. depict the Holocaust.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, I, I, as you say, it's one of these things you you watch; it's intense. You put it in there, and it's it's forever lodged, um, whether or not you want to go back and watch it again. You know, and I th- it, for me, it reminded me of Primo Levi's. Uh, writing, which similarly takes you somewhere, you, you recognise the power of it, but you think you you put it, you know, it's in there now, and mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't go back and read it again necessarily, but an an immensely powerful piece of work. Yeah, uh, and also um, a film that I think we're both keen on is Lucille Hadselovich's Evolution. Very small um, release, very small film, but quite an extraordinary film.
1: Yeah, because I really liked how that film developed. It starts as some sort of like really intimate family drama, a depiction of a society that's living by the seaside. And then it sort of evolves into some kind of Cronenbergian body horror. And it also, once again, it takes some really interesting turns. Mm.
0: Um, yeah. And it, it's, um, it reminds me of um, that British film, The Village of the Damned. Uh, it's got it's got that very eerie quality to it but uh, it's also very beautiful amazingly filmed yeah it's Um, very haunting and ethereal as a film and an extraordinary location set in the um, the black sands of grand canaries uh, i suspect is where it's filmed so it's not a beach that you'd sort of understand as a beach (laughs) the setting so everything's sort of jarring but uh, quite an astonishing film Uh, also at that time in may was denise gam's Guven's Mustang from Turkey uh, which was very very powerful film yeah I think that was a film
1: that was really alive with with spirit with teen spirit um, and I think was a really beautiful depiction of this like Mm. little like society in which women are sort of like suppressed Um, but yeah I think it was a film that was so full of life um, and I really enjoyed
0: it. I mean, so full of life, but yet tragic what happens to some of the the daughters in it, who you know come face to face with male, both male and religious um, attitudes towards uh, towards women. But as you say, ultimately optimistic. Uh, I mean, it o- does offer uh, a, po- a glimpse of positivity. And then moving through to the summer, uh, the summer in cinema. Um, I was thinking that last year we had one of our best summers um, ever on record, and I was ho- hoping that that was going to continue, but it seems as though last year in terms of admissions was uh, a blip, a nice blip but um we're back to we're back to the kind of figures that I was looking at where things go quiet um in the summer for the art house yeah, there's only one film I think that that stands out, and that was
1: Pedro Almodovar's Julieta. I think you can always rely on Almodovar to bring in, um, well, to get audiences in. And I think he doesn't really do anything new with um, It's But what he does, he does brilliantly. He does it really well. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like um, sliding into a warm bath. You know what you're going to get, yeah. but it feels
0: really comfortable. Yeah. But I, th- I think he, you know, for me, he... It was very compact. It was ne- it was under ninety minutes. It was he was working with melodrama as a genre in such a fantastic way and as you say, in the hands of a of a master. And yeah, and I thought it was a really superb uh, film. I I also one of the for me really visually arresting and powerful films as well um, was the British film Notes and Blindness, which follows um, the diaries the the audio diaries of John Hull, who was a theologian and um, professor, writer, uh, when he went blind, he was sighted and then he went blind, and he documented the experience of being blind, um, and the filmmakers had access to this archive and they made a film, Notes on Blindness, and it was just one of the most uh, moving, both moving but also visually um, extraordinary films of the year for me. and. They also had a VR component to it, which I think is really interesting. One of the first examples of I've, I've seen that really works with bringing together the cinema experience with an added VR component. You're not experiencing the VR in the cinema, but you can you can um, after the screening, you could we had some VR headsets and people could engage with it. And it, for me, it, it showed a kind of route through that's possible in relationship between cinema and VR. And moving into um, the autumn, September. Through to November, um, again some really high-profile uh, films coming out that with much anticipation. Um, Andrew Arnold's *American Honey* being one of the titles, and Ken Loach's *I Daniel Blake*.
1: Yeah, *Daniel Blake* that was a film that really resonated with, with the people, and and I and I think also like post. Brexit, I think we need to mention it. A lot of people are very uncertain about what is happening. And um, th- this is a film that shows a really interesting, shows like a state of a nation, state of the country. Um, and I, I know Jeremy Corbyn addressed the film um, as well. And he says like, this is a film that politicians need to watch. And I think it's a very important film. It's a film that's, I don't think it's uh, Noach's best film, but it is important in what it's
0: trying to say. No, he, he's, he certainly is obviously the, the end of his career. has has achieved what he did at the very beginning of his career with Cathy Come Home, which was a kind of explosive address to the nation about look what's happening to some of the poorest and um, underprivileged. Yeah, he has come full circle and he has taken interesting detours throughout yeah. his work. But what, what was interesting, I, we, we screened Cathy Come Home alongside I, Daniel Blake. And I, I watched it again. I was I was really um, surprised by how experimental *Cathy Come Home* is and visual style, um, the editing. It's it's quite avant-garde in some ways, and you know. A lot of films in the swinging 60s um, in the UK were experimental. And so watching it, again, you think about this naturalism, but actually it's very experimental. Mm. Spool forward to to I, Daniel Blake, and he stripped all that out, and it is absolutely, it's more Rossellini in, in, in Rome, Open City, as it were, yeah, it is very so, direct. It is
1: social realism yeah. uh, for this age.
0: Yeah, uh, And then um, we had, uh, just recently, um, films like um, Tom Ford's, uh, Nocturnal Animals, Um Denny Villeneuve's next film Arrival, which is um, still playing in cinemas.
1: Yeah, we we, we spoke about um, Nocturnal Animals uh, on our last podcast. I think I, I think it's it's a really interesting film, but I do think you have to take it with a pinch of salt. It is all a bit silly, so don't take it too serious. And about Arrival, I think Arrival might be one of my favourite films of the year. It's a film that's really addressing really interesting themes like memory and communication and it does make you think and that is a that's the thing that blockbusters don't do anymore nowadays i remember i came out just like wow what 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 have i seen all these interesting ideas that it's trying to tackle and it does it really well i think um arrival is very courageous and very very Mm -hmm. elegant
0: Mm Yeah, no, it's, it, it really does work with the, the genre, the sci-fi, and, and bring it back to a, a really a reflection on now. Yeah, that's more in, in common with themes of uh, Philip K.
1: Dick and Kurt Vonnegut. They, they also um, investigate or were interested in, in those themes such as language and communication.
0: We've still got a few weeks of uh, 2016 left. What are you looking forward to in the next few weeks?
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the new Jim Charmish film. Chalmush is coming out with a double whammy. First, he has his uh, documentary, uh, Gimme da- Danger, about Iggy and the Stooges. Mm-hmm. But I'm definitely looking forward to his film, Patterson, mm-hmm. uh, starring uh, Adam Driver as this uh, Buzz driver slash poet. Mm-hmm. That looks really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Belgian film, um,
0: the new film by the uh, Dardenne brothers um the loss. The, un- the unknown girl the unknown girl yeah really. i i really like the unknown girl it didn't it didn't go down as well as um previous Dardenne brothers films in in Cannes this year and i think they've re-edited it actually since that screening but i i so loved the economy of direction that they've got they managed to make a gripping um sort of moral dilemma uh out of very sparse material and I just really enjoyed it. And also the other thing about it was um the the the, the Dardenne brothers do a car chase, you know, albeit albeit slow and albeit a couple of shots, but there is definitely the, 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 the core of a car chase in the Dardenne's okay. brother film. I'm definitely curious now. <laughs> um and coming up in December is is also is Nate Parker's um The Birth of a Nation, which we've discussed before. Um, and it is uh, controversial because of, it's become controversial because of the sort of backstory to the, the, the director. Um, we're screening it for, for a couple of weeks um, in December. But what, what must be um, a highlight for us uh, coming up at the very end um, of December here at Watershed is Abel Gonsi's Napoleon. Uh, in all its five and a half hour glory. Finally, um, being made available in cinemas with Carl Davis's score. That is something that I'm really, really looking forward to seeing. Yeah,
1: Napoleon is sort of like the holy grail amongst silent films. And I know Kevin Brown now, he's been overseeing this restoration for a good decade now. Well, longer. Or longer, Longer. maybe. Well,
0: he's been working on Napoleon for, for, uh, I mean, it's his life's work. And last
1: week, I found a watershed brochure from, um, from the 1980s. And we showed Napoleon in collaboration with the Hippodrome. That's right. Yeah. Um, and now I think it's really interesting that it's back, but yeah. in, a, in a new version that is it's really fresh. I've yeah. never seen it, but we have a lot of customers who have seen it once or twice before, yeah. but can't wait to, to see it again. Yeah.
0: So what, where we've come to is we want our top fives.
1: Yeah, um, one of my, f- my first highlight of the year was my number five, is Film Room, um, directed by uh, the Irish director Lenny Abramson, um, who adapted the book by Emma Donoghue, uh, which is a really claustrophobic and tense. Well, at first, it is both a thriller, it works as a thriller, but it's also a life-affirming drama about mm-hmm. love from a mother for her, for her child. And I think that was very powerful, very honest, evocative film. Um, and I think it was yeah, it was
0: really well directed. For me, my number five would be Armadova's uh, Julietta. We've we've talked about it earlier, but I think it was just a brilliant piece of work. Concise. He's really honed his craft um, so so fantastically that this film just took you and swept you along in a wonderful melodrama.
1: My number four is a film from New Zealand. Um, it is Hunt for the Wilder People uh, by director Taika Waititi. Because yeah, that was a proper crowd pleaser. And what mm. I really liked about it, it was a joyride from start to finish. And it was a film that took all the staple themes of that you would expect from Hollywood films. And it sort of like rematched them and then it feeded back. And I yeah, it was a very refreshing film. Um, it was a buddy movie, but it was also just a beautiful film about relationships and our relationship with nature, but it was also just a very silly adventure
0: film. Yeah, and I really, really enjoyed that as well. Um, and Sam Neill, um, for me, just grows and grows, and as, a, as an actor, he just becomes better and better. Uh, so my uh, number four would be Brady Corbett's Childhood of a Leader, which, for me, sort of came out of nowhere, and I'd heard, people saying, oh there's this film, Child of and I, Leader. And I had heard that it was a Scott Walker score, primarily why uh, I wanted to see it, but I, I was absolutely blown away by this film, um, which sort of depicts the formative years and what could be a potential future Hitler, a potential future fascist leader. Um, and I think given the state of the world uh, that we're in at the moment, that film um will resonate more and more but the filmmaking of it by he's known as an actor but by first time uh featured director um brady corbett was was quite exceptional
1: yeah he's currently working on a on a musical with jute law and rooney mara so that's definitely something i'm looking forward mm-hmm. to um my number three i'm actually a bit cheeky i'm going to choose three films a whole trilogy and that's Arabian Nights you were just talking about a film that's saying something about the state of the world with childhood of a leader but I think Arabian Nights is also um, a really interesting reflection about um, life in times of austerity measures Um, I think Portuguese filmmaker Miguel Gomez he's a really interesting filmmaker because he always works um, in an area where documentary ends or fiction starts or the other way around and now he's coming up with like a thousand and one nights, but told with like contemporary themes. Um, and it's very playful and very fresh. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I've seen the whole trilogy, the whole seven hours twice now. Mm. And uh, I think Miguel Gomez, he's one of the best European film auteurs out there.
0: Mm. And a great ambitious um, filmmaking, uh, you know, filmmaking on a brilliantly ambitious scale as well. So my um, third would be, coming in at number three, would be Mia Hansen Loves Things to Come, um, which is about, um, which, which stars Isabel Hooper as a middle-aged philosophy lecturer who is dealing with the beginnings of the breakup of her marriage, her teenage, early 20s daughter rebelling, um, the world around her changing, Um, And a really fantastic portrait of a middle-aged, middle-class, professional woman who is not shown as uh, weak or subject to the forces around her, but is somebody who's very strong, who's very strong-willed and who's dealing with the situation. And I think Isabel Hooper is um, as if she could get any better is 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 becoming an absolutely outstanding um, actress and of course we've got the prospect over in Paul Verhoeven's Elle um, coming up next year but so I yeah number three things to come Mia Hansen love.
1: My number two is a film we uh, briefly touched upon that is uh, Andrea Arnold's American Honey. Um, I think yeah, it's a freewheeling wheeling film it's it's clocking in in two hours and 40 minutes and a lot of people say oh it's too long or they think that prospect of a film of two hours 40 minutes is a bit daunting but I loved it from start to finish um, I feel the energy with, with which Andrea Arnold uh, depicts her main characters is, is, is absolutely amazing and I think the main performance by Sasha Lane it's, it's brutal it's honest um, and yeah I, I think it was a film that was brimming once again with, with life but it doesn't really shy away from all the dark places. Mm. And if there ever was a film for post-Trump America, I think American Honey is that film because mm. it shows an America that we rarely see on the screens. Mm. But it, I
0: think it's a, a very vital piece of cinema. I, I completely agree. Uh, it was, it was um, an extraordinary cinematic achievement and great to see Andrea um, taking her unique Approach to America uh, and doing what she does best, and as you say, that performance from Sasha Lane in the in the lead. You know, she she's not an actress. Andrea found her on a beach in Miami, um, asked her to do the, and that's the way she, Andrea works. That's the way she she casts a film, and she that is probably one of the best performances you you'll see in a film. No, absolutely, um, yeah, it's, brilliant. It's social realism with a fairy tale quality to it. Mm. For me, number two would be um, the Icelandic film we've discussed, Rams, um, because of its idiosyncratic Icelandic way, and because of its ultimate um, deep humanity and love. My
1: number one film, I, I think ranking films is always a bit of a difficult exercise because how are you going to put uh, compare a trilogy about austerity measures against like really big blockbusters? But um, I think the film that has has been my number one now is um, um directed by Charlie Kaufman and um, Duke, Duke Johnson. Um, it's a film, it's a depiction of loneliness and depression um, and a lot of really interesting themes. Um, but it, it's a film with a lot of deep sadness and a lot of humor and I think Charlie Kaufman he really knows how to strike that balance between those two. And I think it was also a very warm film. And, and yeah, I, I went through a whole range of emotions and it's a very compact and punchy film. It clocks in under 90 minutes. But I think what Charlie Kaufman manages to say with animation, pu- animated puppets um, is, a, is a lot more than a lot of films do with like human people. I think it's the great humane film of 2016, which says a lot about an animation
0: film and the state of animation. Mm. So my uh, top film would be a film which is a great piece of cinema in that it really uses the language of film to get inside another person and another person's experience. And it does it absolutely brilliant, very moving a um, powerful piece of work, and that's um, James Spinney, Peter Middleton's Notes and Blindness. Um, I thought it was just a, a completely moving experience. They had John Hull's um, audio tracks that they used, which were moving in themselves, but they then created the visuals, which amplified everything that John Hull... And then, as I mentioned before, with the VR, um, it was the most extraordinary. Um, you could see the, I could see the potential then of VR. All of a sudden, my eyes were opened. Um, so I would put uh, notes and blindness as my number one. We cannot end those, fen without the. Um, what did we call it? The. Um, we can't. We can't end without. What was your worst?
1: Yeah, I've had it really hard to find like a really bad, I haven't really seen any bad films. There, was, there were a lot of films this year that really dis- disappointed me. But here at Watershed, in the independent alternative foreign language cinema, I haven't really seen a bad film. Mm. But out there in the multiplexes, I have seen the worst, vilest mm. um, piece of junk. Um, and that was a from, yeah, Suicide Squad. I think that film that uh, that's shows everything that is wrong, with um, blockbuster filmmaking nowadays. Mm. It's vile, it's misogynistic, um, it's too long, it's very messy, Um, and that's why I think I don't really go to the multiplexes anymore because nowadays it's all these kind of films that are clogging up our screens, Mm. and you know, it's not gonna stay with one film because they're all part of an expanded universe, Mm. and they're all just like big trailers and fabrics like connecting tissues between films, and they're not actual mm. films with self-contained stories. Mm. And I'm very bored of what is happening in those uh, superhero films nowadays. Mm.
0: So for me, um, and I'll step further back from you, um, Sven, when I say this, um, I, is um, for me, the, my worst film uh, viewing experience is a joint one. I'm going to put two up there, and they are Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight, and also Nicholas Winding Reft's The Neon Demon. Um, Just simply put, these two directors need to grow up. Um, I I just think they're messing about. Um, They're having a lot of fun. They're having a lot of fun. But the results that go up on screen, I just think are like um, terribly adolescent. Um, And as I say, they just need to stop it. There's certainly been a lot of of really uh, rich filmmaking over the past year and we look forward to 2017, a year in cinema. That's all for this month. Thank you.
1: Thanks a lot, Mark.